Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, episode 274. Hopefully you're having a great week. You're out there persuading with power, achieving your goals, doing what you want to do, changing the world. Whatever it is, it's all through persuasion, motivation, influence, and self-persuasion. And that's what we'll be talking about today is self-persuasion. Because if you can't persuade yourself, you can't persuade other people. We have a special guest today. It's Lisa Wimberger. She's the founder of the Neurosculpting Institute. She has a master's degree in education. She's certified in neuroleadership, medical neuroscience, visual perception, the brain, and neurobiology. She's the author of New Beliefs, New Brain, and Neurosculpting, a whole brain approach to heal trauma, rewrite limiting beliefs, and find wholeness. Her mission is to teach others how to reprogram their brain, change beliefs, and share powerful stress management techniques, or what she calls neurosculpting. So I'm excited. Let's cut into the interview. So Lisa, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to have you. Is this a term you created, neurosculpting? It actually is. Yeah, I was teaching the specific form of brain entrainment and meditation that I had to develop for my own self, self needs, my own trauma, and I didn't have a word for it. And it wasn't meditation as the traditional meditation goes. And people kept saying, this is not what I expected. This is something more, and you need to come up with a name for it. So I literally had to go into meditation and ask myself, what is it that I'm doing? And the name came, and that was back in 2010 or 11. And I started using the, the term neurosculpting, and um, a very prominent person in the self-help industry who is a mentor of mine said, hey, you need to trademark that or I'm going to take it because it's really, <laughs> really good. So I trademarked it way back then. And it's an actual trademarked modality that has a ton of learning rolled up into it. Yeah, I like it. It's got a great, great name, great ring to it. And But we, we forgot the very first question. I don't know where it started, but we have to know what vegetable, what is the worst vegetable on the planet for you, in your opinion? Uh, okra. Okra. Yep. Wow. Right to the point, okra. No no way, no how, huh? Well, I love vegetables, and it's the only one I don't love, so I can't say I hate it, but I definitely don't love it, so it that has to be okra. All right, we'll take okra. I think okra's always in the top ten, but uh, we'll take okra for this. <laughs> so when we get into neurosculpting, is there any relationship to neuroplasticity? That's another term we hear thrown quite a bit nowadays. Absolutely. Neuroplasticity is at the very heart of neurosculpting. Neuroplasticity is our brain's ability to adapt and learn and change based on incoming information and its relevance to our lives. That's neuroplasticity. Neurosculpting is putting strategy and intention around the incoming information and how we choose to learn it, remember it, and store it in our nervous system so that we have a lot more conscious choice around how we are responding to the world, both in the present moment and 
creating intentionally the patterns of future responses. Um, so really neurosculpting is relying on our understanding of neuroplasticity and then harnessing our ability to influence it ourselves. What do you think, as you've been studying the brain and neurosculpting and neuroplasticity, take a look at self-persuasion. What is the biggest blunder, the biggest mistake people make in learning to persuade and motivate themselves or, or the way they use their brain? Well, I think what people don't realize is that we try to motivate ourselves at a conscious level with knowledge and information, but our behavioral drive does not come from the conscious level. It comes from our subconscious automated patterns. So a lot of us try to self-motivate from, um, from the I should know better place. Well, I should be successful, so therefore I'm going to make these goals and talk to myself this way. I'm going to use these affirmations because they should get me to the end point. But what we actually have to do is forget about the shoulds and go to the subconscious patterning and discover it, find it, and start there. And often self-motivation comes at a much more subtle level first. We have to change that foundation for those for all the self-talk to actually stick and work, we have to change the foundation of what we're capable of believing. Because if we're not capable of believing the self-talk, I don't care how many post-it notes you have. I don't care how many walls you have them stuck to. You're not going to change if your capacity to believe in the change is not there. I'm with you on that. Even persuading somebody else, most of that's on a subconscious level. And people just think, use the logic, lose the data dump, just think it through. And that subconscious is so powerful. That belief you mentioned, being capable of believing. Explain that. Is that because we have conflicting beliefs or deep down we just failed so many times at that diet or, or whatever it is that we just don't have that belief and that sabotages ourselves? Absolutely. Like, for instance, many years ago I was doing, you know, some law of attraction work. And, you know, I make a vision board and I'm putting up the boat, the yacht, but I'm ending up all of a sudden like uh, the metaphor of I'm in a raft that has a hole in it. And I'm thinking, well, this doesn't work. I put up the pictures of the yacht. But my foundational belief is I don't deserve. And I'm just using that as an example of what, what was specific to me. I don't deserve. And that belief came from hundreds of experiences in my past where maybe I failed a test or I didn't make number one or I didn't get chosen for the dance team or whatever. And you develop this relationship to life's experiences that says, oh, I didn't get that or I didn't make the grade because I guess I'm not good enough. Therefore, I don't deserve. And if I play that story out as my foundational belief, then it doesn't matter if I put the picture of the yacht up. I'm not going to believe I deserve that level. So I'm going to then experience that which I believe I deserve. And maybe in my case, that's, you know, rafting down the river and getting a hole in the raft. And that's as close as I might get to that yacht until I work on the I don't deserve story. So the end goal sometimes is where we think we need to start to motivate ourselves and do all the um, self-talk influencing. And that's really, to keep with the metaphor, missing the boat in, in my experience. And that's huge, and a lot of people, they just keep sabotaging themselves. I've seen that, too, especially with success, especially with money. People tend to sabotage themselves. They don't think they deserve it. It could be the relationships. So how do you get people back on track? How do you get that sculpting to happen to where they feel like they deserve it, 
whether it be money, success, relationships, because a lot of studies, especially in the, the sales world, show that people earn what they feel they're worth, mm-hmm. and they tend to sabotage themselves when they get to that point where they've kind of that's their place where they feel like they should be. Mm-hmm. How do we get past that? That's, that's huge. Um, a huge starting point for us is you have to become aware of where that story lives in your nervous system. So we've got all these stories in the mind, right? They actually all have expressions in our nervous system, in our central and peripheral nervous system. They, on a subtle level, contract our muscles or elevate our heart rate in stress or they do something in the body. And until we get a handle on the body signals, it's very difficult to change the mind patterns. So what we do at the Institute is we help people first identify what's in your way, what are the stories, to the best of their ability, we identify them. Then we put them into brain training and meditation exercises where we have them find, okay, where is your body responding when this experience comes up? We have to go in at that level. And then we help them either shake through it or move their breath or start using then creative visualization to address the body's response. That starts to loosen it up a little bit. Then we start rewriting the mental script through repetition and getting our central nervous system responsive. So it's very body-oriented. It's a combination of creative visualization but also a heightened detail to oh, this is when my heart rate elevates. This is when I start to sweat. This is when I start to contract, and I can interrupt that and start breaking the link between the body's automated response to the subconscious thought. Once I break those links, the subconscious thought is less steeped and entrenched, and I can start to edit the way that sits in my memory through more of the thought process at that point. So it's always brain-to-body, body-to-brain work with us. So changing the meaning, the interpretation, I think you said edit, right? It's got yes. to change, otherwise it's going to, kind of, I guess, knee-jerk to that feeling, to that fear, to the sabotage that really holds people back. Absolutely. I mean, if we look at trauma, let's say two people experience the exact same trauma at the exact moment. One may develop PTSD and become a victim, and one may be totally empowered and overcome and be the most successful role model. And there's only one difference between them. What was their relationship to that event? How did they store that in their nervous system and in their belief system? So we get people to understand it's not the events. It's the relationship we form to them, and that is where our power lies in really discovering that we can edit the relationship. We're not talking about, you know, denying what's happened. We're talking about editing the relationship to what has happened, and that's where all of our inherent power comes from. Yeah, I like that. Even when I train, I do like seminars on public speaking, I'm like, okay, this is a learned fear. <laughs> we got to change the meaning here. Absolutely. And people just let that thing just going in the subconscious mind, and it can really hold them back. That's a good message for everyone, whether it be fear or belief that can, that hold you back. It can be edited. It can be changed. But let me ask you this, Lisa. This is something I read in research. Tell me what you think, that when we're in the first grade and we're told something about ourselves, it becomes an instant belief. It's very easy for that to happen. I mean, certainly if what we're told makes us feel fear or negative emotion, emotion is, one, um, emotion is a neuroplastic enhancer. So if you want to remember anything better 
supercharge it with a dose of emotion. Now, of course, if you're being scolded or chided or belittled or berated or embarrassed, you know, at any age, that's a heightened sense of emotion. So that moment's going to stick with you as more believable and more memorable to your nervous system. It's going to be stored and reconsolidated by your hippocampus with easier access because it's been supercharged and your brain is thinking, if there's a flare of emotion here, this must be important. I better remember it. And so as a young child, I have lots of stories where I didn't measure up. And those moments of embarrassment or shame are what really stamped that moment into my memory. And that becomes then our prediction for how the world is going to be, how we should respond. And so now I'm orienting myself towards that experience. And so absolutely, if you're chided, yelled at, it's going to stick. So you mentioned that the prediction of the future, so these thoughts are playing in our mind, it's actually predicting that is, I guess it would be an expectation, self-fulfilling prophecy. Is that what tends to happen? Yeah, the brain is it works off a prediction model. So basically, in order for us to be able to talk, to walk, to move, we've had to pay heightened focused attention to the learning moments of learning how to walk. Then we had to automate that, right? And then we had to take all those automated instructions and use them as a prediction for how to move my body tomorrow so I don't have to start learning from zero every day how to walk. So the brain does this with everything. I have to take a moment. I have to value it as memorable. I have to then store it. And then I have to be able to retrieve that script from yesterday and pull it up today to help me start from there predicting how to function so that I can be adaptable. And so it's, it's an interesting irony that it's a prediction model in order to make us adaptable. We have to always start from our most robust place of learning and history. So that's how we learned how to play the piano, to walk, to speak without thought. It's because we're predicting how to do that based on all our past experiences of how to do that. And we do the same thing with our beliefs. So it sounds like the brain, the way it's set up, it's going to follow the path of least resistance, what's happened in the past. And if you don't change it, you become the creature of habit. That kind of starts that downward spiral, I guess, failure. Absolutely. But, but you can also do the exact same thing to success. I mean, you can harness and store all of your success stories and use those as prediction models. And those are the people who maybe they don't know they're doing it, but they tend to live what we call a charmed life might not be actually charmed, might be that their prediction script have been the ones um, with success, positive emotion, and accessing all their belief stories versus someone whose prediction scripts are harnessing their threat-based protection defaults, I'm not good enough stories. Gotcha. That's great information. Let's switch gears a little bit. I know one thing a listener will be interested in, I know you focus on is stress management. Mm-hmm. Life can be stressful. Give us some some tips here, what you've learned, some of your takeaways as you studied stress and stressful people and relieving stress. What are some good takeaways that we can be more relaxed and less stressed in our lives? Yeah, um, first tip is you can't ignore the body or what you put into it or how you treat it. So a lot of people want stress to be a thought or a pill, right, so that we can just take a pill or change the thought. But stress is also amplified by what we eat and what we don't eat. So you can be doing all the internal work you want, but if you're fueling yourself 
with erratic blood sugar and refined sugars and you don't have normal sleep patterns, well, good luck in managing any emotions whatsoever. So tip number one, treat the body as an investment as much as you are going to your self-help seminars and you're reading these amazing books and taking these courses. Um, your body has to be treated with the same kind of investment, and that is healthy fats, healthy proteins, healthy slow carbohydrates. Regulate your food intake throughout the day, and you will jump worlds ahead in your stress management. From there, then the internal work has a place to actually create roots and a foundation of more emotional regulation. So really one of our first tips is what are you putting into the body and how are you treating it? And then starting to identify now what are you putting into the mind? What are your pervasive thoughts? So we give people homework lists throughout the day in the morning, afternoon, and evening, how many times you said, I shouldn't, I can't, I'll never. Just write them down and start noticing that that's what you're inputting. And then start rewriting those lines with maybe I could or I am and you move into a positive and see if you can sort of fit those into your day's thoughts. But it starts with noticing what are you inputting. That's true. I put bad gas in the car. It's not going to run very well. So Absolutely. The physical is directly tied to not only the emotional, the intellectual, the brain. And you got to put good stuff into the body and, and identify those negative things that are happening throughout the day because I know a lot of people are dealing with a lot of stress. And Does it take weeks, months? I mean, something pretty simple that people could do? Uh, it's pretty simple. I mean, quite honestly, one week of super healthy breakfasts can start regulating your sleep cycles and your blood sugar quite profoundly, which can start to give you a sense of, oh, wait, I can do this. I can manage what life is throwing at me. And of course, the irony is in times of stress, we lose our appetite or we overeat, we go to extremes, right? We overeat sugar or we lose our appetite and we don't eat. And that's both of those extremes are the opposite of what needs to happen. So a week of balanced breakfasts can start you really noticing things. Second tip for managing stress, which is actually my go-to, is to take a few times a day to shake your body super vigorously for, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds. And what you're doing in this moment is you're accessing your body's neurogenic tremoring. Neurogenic tremoring is when the muscles get a chance to use all the contracted stored energy and dissipate it. And so we have micro contractions from stress. Most of us feel it in tension headaches or in our jaw, but that's long after it's compounded. These micro contractions are happening all the time as our beliefs are spiking us a little bit into the stress range. So we have micro contractions and they're going to send signals to the brain that say we're contracted because something's wrong and the brain's not going to calm down till those muscles get soft. And so neurogenic tremoring or shaking vigorously a few times a day can dissipate that energy and soften the muscles and then the brain starts to get a signal that, hey, life's not quite so amped as I thought it was. And you know this is actually a drive of the nervous system to go into homeostasis through shaking. If you look at your dog when there's a loud noise like fireworks or an explosion, the dog will start to shake. That's a mammalian nervous system trying to regulate and, and de-escalate stress. 
and we are mammals with large brains and our muscles contract in the same way. So to apply shaking to the human body is a profound stress management tool overlooked by so many people and can make a massive difference in how you handle your day. Interesting. Great information. Anything we missed that you want us to talk about? I'm also just going to mention sleep. So we know you got to feed your mind differently with the thoughts. you got to feed your body differently with the food. You have to feed your body with sleep. And a lot of people don't get quality sleep. And the truth is we need a whole bunch of REM cycles throughout the night to actually do all the brain repair necessary to give us a healthy brain. So somehow to bring in some sleep hygiene, turn off the electronics an hour before bed because the blue light of them will activate your wake cycle. Don't drink caffeine after a certain time of the day so that you're not blocking adenosine and you get a natural tired effect black out your curtains, anything you can do to keep yourself in a sleep at night, wake at day cycle, and a six to eight hour window of sleep will give you profound stress management capacity. Great information. We can change the brain. We can change your habit. We can change our beliefs. We can overcome our fears through neurosculpting and being aware of how to do this. It's great information. So, Lisa, where can the uh, listeners find out more about you and sculpting and uh, yeah. And changing their life. Yeah, well, we are international, so you can go to neurosculptinginstitute.com and you can check out any of our classes. Almost everything I teach is live streamed and archived for our students overseas. We have a robust learning store. You can email us at info at neurosculptinginstitute.com and ask us questions. We have tons of support resources for you and even lifetime memberships where you get guided through all of this monthly and it's a wonderful community and we welcome all of you to explore it and feel free to ask us questions. Lisa, appreciate you being here and sharing this information with the Maximize Your Influence audience. Thank you so much and take care. Thanks, you too. We want to thank Lisa for being on the podcast today. Use this information, change your life and go out and persuade with power.